How to Play, Episode 25, Hansa Teutonica. Hello and welcome to the How to Play podcast, coming to you from the How to Play studios in Buffalo, New York. This is your host, Ryan Sturm, and this podcast is about learning and teaching games. In each episode, I give an explanation of how to play a game, just as if I was sitting across the table from you and we were about to play the game together. This podcast is intended for use in learning about a game you may not know much about, learning how to play a game by yourself, or to serve as a model on how to explain the rules of this game or others. If you like the show, join and participate in our guild at BoardGameGeek. For more information about all the How to Play podcast episodes, the corresponding teaching guides, and the discussion forums, refer to the How to Play Geek list, for which you can find a link there at the Guild. You can also check out our website, www.howtoplaypodcast.com, where you can support the show with a PayPal donation, and I can be contacted at the Guild on BoardGameGeek or directly at my email address, howtoplaypodcast at msn.com. Now let's get to today's episode. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is your host, Ryan Sturm, and today we're going to talk about Hansa Teutonica. And this episode was recorded on January 29th, 2011. And before we really get going, I need to dedicate this episode to listener Mike Amos. Mike has definitely been one of the largest supporters of the How to Play podcast, and he, in fact, donated this game, Hansa Teutonica, to me, which is a big reason why you're hearing this episode today. So thank you to Mike and to all of the listeners who have helped out to pay some of the costs for the How to Play podcast. So today I'm very excited to talk about this game, Hansa Teutonica. It's one of my favorite new games that has come out rather recently. And another reason that I chose it is it's the most popular request there at the How to Play Guild. The people are demanding, they're almost knocking down the doors to get an episode on Hansa Teutonica because they've heard a lot of great buzz about this game. And with good reason. It's a great one. I love Hansa Teutonica. The things I like about this is it's a very strategic game that plays in just about an hour. The game moves very quickly. There's very little downtime. Each player's turn might take five or ten seconds. But there's a lot of interaction between the players and a lot of different strategic paths for which to choose from. And there's hardly any luck in the game other than the actions of your opponents. So it's a very good competitive, strategic, and interactive game. This game may not be for everybody. If you're a person who really needs a theme to enjoy a game, an immersive theme, that's not what you're going to get out of this game. This game feels very abstracted. You know, the, the terminology pasted on theme would certainly apply to this game. It's a game about building networks, but other than that, there's very little in the way of theme. So if that's something that is a requisite for you, you may want to steer clear of this game. Also, in playing this game, you're, you're going to have to get in other people's face. You're going to have to block other people. And if that's something that you're trying to avoid in the games that you want, this game may not be for you. Hansa Teutonica was designed by Andreas Stedding. It was released in the year 2009, and it plays with two to five players, though I recommend playing it with three to five players. Complexity rating. Hansa Teutonica is a blue square. 
There's not a lot of downtime, it has a good length of just about an hour, and the mechanics of the game are quite simple, but there's a lot of different scoring elements, so you're going to have to make sure that your players understand that. But with that being said, it's, it's a game that I think most people can enjoy, even if they're not per se gamers. So I, I think this is a fantastic blue square intermediate complexity game. So we will get into our show. We'll have a hook, which gives us the introduction, the meat of the rules, and then a hamster to give you a little bit of starting strategy. At the end, I'll have a few footnotes and some important how-to-play news, so you'll want to stay tuned for that. As always, I recommend having that game right there in front of you, the rule book, or access to the web to see the board and the components. This will help you better understand the rules. I'll also post a few pictures there at the guild of the board and the components so that you can really get a visual understanding if you don't own the game. And if you don't own the game, you're missing out on a picture of one of the most handsome men ever featured on the cover of a board game box. This man is very classy. He's very stylishly dressed. He has excellent golden perm-like hair and exquisite facial hair. And he just happens to be here with me, so I'd like to welcome my co-host for this episode, Wolfgang. Hello, my name is Wolfgang, ja, und mein Schnurrbart ist sehr schön. Schnurrbart? Uh, Wolfgang, what's a Schnurrbart? Mein Schnurrbart. Oh, I see. For those of you who can't see, since this is an audio podcast, uh, Wolfgang is stroking his mustache. Yes, he he does have a very fine Schnurrbart, indeed. All right, Wolfgang, are you ready? Yeah. Well then, let's get to the hook. Der Haken. Yes, Der Haken. Let's get to Der Haken. Part one, the hook. What the game is about. Welcome to Hansa Teutonica. In this game, you are the leader of a merchant guild in Germany with beautiful curly golden locks and excellent facial hair. Mein Schnurrbart. Yes, your Schnurrbart. And it is your dream to become the most prestigious trading guild in the Hanseatic League in the late Middle Ages. You will try to do this by completing trade routes connecting two cities. Most trade routes have three or four spaces between them. You will complete trade routes by laying traders, represented by cubes, in every space connecting two of the cities on the board. When you complete a trade route on the board, you'll have one of two scoring options. You will either score them to get a special ability, or you will score them to set up an office in a city, represented by marking the city with one of your cubes. Having an office in a city will allow you to score points when anyone else scores a route attached to that city give you points for controlling the city, and will help you set up a trade network for victory points at the end of the game. Early in the game, you'll likely be connecting trade routes to gain special abilities that you can use to connect trade routes more efficiently. But as the game progresses, you'll want to shift your focus towards setting up offices to control cities and to score points for a large trading network. At the beginning of the game, you'll have two actions, and for most actions, you'll simply lay a cube or score a trade route. So it is common that your first turn would be to play two cubes, and that your second turn would be to play a cube to complete the trade route, and then score that trade route. The game progresses in this way with players taking actions, mostly by playing cubes onto the board and scoring routes. As players score routes, they will develop their abilities, and then try to set up to score the most points at the end of the game. 
At the end of the game, points are scored for many categories, but some of the largest chunks are for controlling cities, the size of your network of adjacent offices, and for development of your abilities. No points, however, are awarded for the quality of your facial hair. Keine Punkt für meinen Schnurrbart? No. No points for your mustache. The player with the most points will be the most prestigious guild in the Hanseatic League and be the winner of the game. Part 2. The Meat. How to play the game. Okay, so you know the basic idea. You're connecting these routes in order to get special abilities and to score points. Now it's time to get into the meat of the rules. Das Fleisch! Yes, Das Fleisch. And so we're going to start with looking at what you do on your turn. How to play your turn. Okay, so on your turn you get a certain number of actions. At the beginning of the game this number is two. But one of the special abilities is to increase this amount of actions. But you'll start with just two. There are really five different things that you can do with each action. There are two which you're going to do more often and three which you'll do less often. The two which you do more often I'll call major actions. And those are playing a cube and scoring a route. When you play a cube, you are trying to get all the cubes on a route, which can be between two and four spaces. And when you want to add a cube, you can add it anywhere you want on the board. You also have cylinders, which are like your cubes, but they have some special abilities, which we'll talk about in a minute. And this is what you're going to do for a lot of your actions, and probably your first turn will be just to put down two cubes, trying to fill up a route. The second choice for an action is to score a route that you have completed. This counts as an action. So as I said in my example in the hook, very common first two turns would be to play two cubes in your first turn, to play a third cube to finish a route, and then to use your last action of the second turn to score that route. When you score the route, you have to make a choice. You can either claim the office by putting your cube in a city adjacent to that route, or you might be able to get a special ability if you score next to one of the special ability towns. If you want to claim an office, you put one of those cubes into the office and the rest back to your stock. If you choose to get a special ability, then all of those cubes just go back to your stock. The three other actions, which I call minor actions because you do them less often, are refilling your cube supply, displacing other people's cubes, or moving cubes on the board. First, let's talk about refilling your supply. When you start the game, depending on what turn order position you're in, you get five to nine cubes in your supply. It's very important that you have two separate piles when you play this game. You have a pile of cubes that are active to you and cubes that you can use, and other cubes in your stock, which you can get, but you can't use them until you move them into your supply, which is what this refill action does. So you should have your supply clearly in front of you and your stock a little farther away within arm's reach for you to refill with. So your first few turns, you're going to be playing these cubes and eventually you're going to run out. So you're going to have to use an action to refill your cube supply. So you use one of your actions, and to begin with, your refill ability is three cubes. So you can spend one action to get three cubes from the stock and place them in your active supply. Now remember those cylinders? You can choose to refill those cylinders, just like they were cubes. The next possible action is displacing cubes. Now you're trying to fill a route with all of your cubes. Inevitably, some jerk is going to place a cube in your way in the route that you're trying to score. What are you going to do about that? 
Well, one thing you can do about it is displace it. You can kick him out of there, but you have to do so at a cost. You can play your cube and replace your opponent's cube, but you have to pay one cube from your supply into your stock to do that. And the jerk who got in your way is going to get a little bonus. He gets to replay his cube on an adjacent route, and he gets a freebie cube, and not from his active supply, but from the stock. So how does this work? I want to take over a cube where my opponent got in the way. So I put one of my active cubes on the section where he is. I hand him his cube back. I have to pay another cube into my stock. Then my opponent is happy and giggles like a German schoolboy. <laughs> ich hat zwei Würfel, ja. Yes, Wolfgang, you get two cubes. He gets the one I took off the board, and he has to play it on an adjacent route, and he gets a free one from his stock, not his active supply. And remember those cylinders? Here's where their special ability comes into play. These guys are extra hard to displace. If you want to kick out one of these cylinders, you have to pay two cubes into your stock, and your opponent gets two free cubes to lay from his stock. Yes, yes, Wolfgang, you get three cubes. So I play one on the cylinder. I have to burn two cubes into my stock from my supply into my stock. My opponent gets to move the cylinder and gets two free cubes from his stock to play on one of those adjacent routes. He can't just play it anywhere. must be on an adjacent route. So displacing comes at a penalty. So that's one way to deal with people getting in your way. The other way to deal with it is to simply move your cubes, which is the fifth action. At the beginning of the game, you have the ability to pick up two cubes on the board and move them to different spots. You have to move them to empty spots. But this is another way to handle it if people are just getting in your way. So you have two actions on your turn, and you have five different choices with which to use those actions. Mainly, you're going to play cubes, or you're going to score routes. But you can also refill your supply, displace an opponent's cube at a cost, or move a couple of your cubes on the board. So the first few turns, you'll probably be laying a few cubes, then maybe scoring a route, and then you may run out of cubes, so you'll have to refill, play some more cubes. Maybe you'll have opponent get in your way, so you have to displace it, and then you'll have a route full, so you can score that route, and the game continues in this way. Let's talk more specifically about scoring routes. Scoring routes. So when you finally get those pesky other colored cubes out of your way and you fill the whole thing up with your cubes, you get to score the route. And it takes an action to do that. And then you have a tough choice to make. Do you want to place an office? Or do you want to get an ability? In order to get a special ability, you need to have completed a route that's adjacent to one of these special ability towns. How can you recognize the ability towns? Well, they're a different shape. They're sort of a castle shape. And on the new edition, the cities have yellow banners, so you can clearly see which cities grant you abilities. And there's a big yellow scroll adjacent to that city to show you what ability you get from it. Scoring abilities is marked on your player tableau. You start with a player tableau, and there are five different tracks that show all of the special abilities. And the special abilities are covered by cubes at the starting setup of the board. And how you mark that you earned a special ability is by removing one of those cubes and placing it into your active supply. So you actually get another bonus from getting the special ability, and that is another cube. So if I finished a route to Lubeck, Lubeck is an ability town, 
I would say, I'm going to score the ability. And I would look on my player board, and I'd find the Lubeck ability, which is the money bags. And I would remove one cube from that ability. And that would reveal what that ability is. And I would take that cube and put it in my active supply. So I get the ability, and I sort of get a bonus cube to use immediately. Let's go over those six towns and the special abilities that they give. First of all, we will start with the fiercely contested Gotinin, or for you Americans, Gottingen. This city's ability is to give you more actions. And the action track goes like this. You start with two, and then you get three, three, four, four, five. So your first time scoring this ability is going to allow you to go up from two actions to three actions. And you get the action immediately, so when you score that, you get another action for that turn. And for this reason, it is hotly contested very early on in the game because people really want that bonus action. And then, of course, it takes you two more times of scoring that ability to then get to four actions. Two more times will get you to the maximum amount of five. This is powerful, as if you have one more action than everybody else at the beginning of the game, you're going to be able to do 150% more than they are. Though the other actions can be quite powerful as well when used correctly. The next special ability is Lubeck. Lubeck is the money bags action, and the action track says 3, 5, 7, and C. What does money let you do? It lets you refill quicker. Remember, at the beginning of the game, you can only refill three cubes with one action. As you remove cubes from the money bags, you're going to be able to refill faster. Five cubes refill, seven cubes refill, and C means clear, or you get to get all of the cubes that you have and put them in your active supply when you take that action. The next ability town is Stade, or Stade for us Americans. This action track has different colors on it, and it's called Privileges. White, orange, pink, and black. What does this do? Well, remember when I was talking about placing offices. Most of the city spaces have white areas for your cubes in which you can place an office. And in white areas, anyone can go in that house. But further down the line, there are orange, pink, and black boxes. And in order to place an office in these boxes, you need to have the required privilege. So the more of these privileges you have, the further down the track you are, the better capability you're going to have to place more offices. In fact, the other thing I should mention is that in some of these cities, there are cylindrical spots. And for those, you need to obviously place one of your cylinders. And some of them are cylindrical and colored, so you need to have a cylinder and the correct privilege. The next city is Groninen. Groninen is the book track on your tableau. And the book essentially gives you two different bonuses. At the beginning of the game, you only start with one of those special cylinders to use for blocking and for placing in special offices and areas on the board. To get more of these cylinders, you need to score the book ability because the book track is filled with your cylinders. There are three more cylinders that you can get. There are also numbers underneath those cylinders. You start with two, and then you can get three, four, and five. This book ability represents your ability to move cubes on the board. Remember, as an action, you have the ability to move cubes. You start with the ability to only move two. But if you increase this ability, you can move cubes more quickly on the board. So Grondinen, the book ability, gives you more merchants and the ability to move cubes on the board quicker. So those are the four that are really going to let you set up trade networks more efficiently. One gives you more actions, one gives you a quicker refill, the other one lets you take more office spaces, and the book gives you merchants and quicker movement. 
The last two are more for end-of-game victory points. Let's talk about Coelin. Coelin has four gentlemen holding barrels with numbers in them, 7, 8, 9, and 11. And those barrels are cylindrical, which means, guess what? You need the merchants or the cylindrical pieces in order to place into those victory point spaces. And those gentlemen are also wearing different colored outfits, white, orange, pink, and black. And so in order to play in the larger ones, you need the appropriate privilege. You don't have to place these in order from left to right. Lastly, we have Hala. This city gives you town keys. What do town keys do? Well, one of your goals is to set up as many adjacent offices as you can. Because at the end of the game, you're going to be able to get a point for every adjacent office and cities you have on the board. So if you have five cities with offices in them that are linked by roads, you'll get five points. What the town keys do is multiply this bonus. The town key track goes one, two, two, three, four. So it's always pretty good to get that first one because then you double that bonus. But you can get even further down. If you're planning on playing a lot of offices, say for example you you get seven offices adjacent to each other, and you get to the town key that says three, you're going to get seven times three, 21 points, which is a huge chunk of points. The town keys are something that you can either go after if that's part of your strategy, or something that you can pretty much ignore if, if you're not planning on playing a lot of offices. If you haven't seen the board, all of these ability towns are in the corners of the board. Three of them are in the lower right, bottom, and lower left corners, and the other three are in the upper right, upper center, and upper left corner. So there's a lot of play in these corners of the board. So why would you play towards the center? Well, there are two major cities called Arnheim and Stendhal on the left side and right side of the board. And the first person who manages to make a connection between these two cities with offices linked by roads gets a sizable point bonus. The first person to do this gets seven points, second person gets four points, and the third person gets two points. So if everyone else is ignoring this, someone might decide to go after this big bonus for connecting from left to right. The other reason you might play towards the center of the board is at the beginning of the game, three bonus markers, which look like dinner plates, so I'm going to refer to them as dinner plates, are placed adjacent to three routes on the board. And the first person to connect the trade route that is adjacent to this dinner plate is going to get the dinner plate. The dinner plate is worth points at the end of the game, and it also gives you the ability to use a special ability pictured on the dinner plate, which will help you in the game. If you earn a dinner plate, you take it face up to use its special ability, and they have a wide range of special abilities, from being able to send back cubes of other players, to getting a bump up on a skill for free, to getting extra actions. When you use it, to flip it over to show that you've used it. You can use it on any turn. But the end of the turn in which you collect a dinner plate, you have to replay another dinner plate from the stock onto the board, so that the board will always have three dinner plates on it. Usually a good strategy, of course, is to play them adjacent to your offices, so when someone tries to take that dinner plate, you get a point. And this is a good time to review that whenever someone scores a route, you have to look on either side of that route and see if a player has an office in a city adjacent to that route. And if they do, they score a victory point, and you mark that on a track. If more than one player has offices in a city, then whoever has the most cubes is considered to control that city, and they would get the victory point. 
If there's a tie, if both players have one cube, then the player furthest to the right is the player who has control of the city. And that's where having those privileges to get into those houses that are further to the right has its benefits. Though when you place the offices, you must place them left to right. You're not allowed to skip spaces. All right, so let's review what happens when you score a route. When you score a route, you have to choose whether to place an office or to get an ability if you're next to an ability town. If you do score an ability, you mark that by removing a cube from your tableau, your little personal player board, and add that to your active supply. The six different abilities are get more actions, money bags, which give you a quicker refill, privileges, which let you get into more office spaces, the book, which gives you more merchants and quicker movement, Coelan, which has spaces for victory points at the end of the game, and Town Keys, which multiply your adjacent offices score at the end of the game. You also want to be aware of the big bonus that can be earned by connecting Arnheim and Stendhal. And you may want to consider collecting dinner plates. And when you take a dinner plate, you can use the ability at any time, but remember, at the end of your turn, you have to add another dinner plate, so there's always three on the board. Remember, when a route is scored, remember to score either side of it if there's an office on the cities on either side. Whoever has control, meaning whoever has the most cubes or is the furthest to the right, gets to score one point on the victory point track. And yes, it is possible to give yourself points in this manner. You could even score two points if you controlled both cities on either end of the trade route. And that's about everything you need to know about scoring rounds. The end of the game. All right, so round and round and round things will go. How does the game end? There are three different end game triggers, and the players have a good amount of control on when the game ends. So you're going to want to pay attention to whether you want to try to force the end of the game, or whether you want to avoid those things that might complete the game. There are three ways that the game can end, and when one of these three things happens, the game ends immediately. The player doesn't even get to finish his turn. The first way, remember how we're going to be scoring points when people score a trade route and it's adjacent to an office? There's a special mark on the score track at the 20 line, because if any player gets to that 20 line, that triggers the end of the game. The other way players can get more points is by connecting Arnheim and Stendhal. You get those points immediately, so that could trigger the end of the game. In my experience, this is the most common way that the game ends. But sometimes you'll run out of bonus markers, out of those dinner plates. If you take one and there isn't one to refill at the end of that turn, the game will end. And finally, there's a city track marker on the board. Whenever a city fills up with offices, you increase this one spot. And if this marker gets to 10, that will end the game. So throughout the game, you've scored a few points from offices, and maybe you connected that big connection. But almost all of the scoring happens at the end of the game. There's five different things that you can score points for. Let's go over them. First, fully developing abilities. There are four abilities on your player board that are marked with a little brown circle that says four on it. And that means you get four victory points if you get to the end of that track. And that's the action track, the money bag track, the book track, and the privilege track. It's kind of hard to get to the end of these. And if you do, you get a four victory point bonus at the end of the game. The keys doesn't give you a four point bonus because it gives you a bonus in the multiplier. So it wouldn't make sense to give you a double bonus. Next, dinner plates, those bonus markers. Don't forget that those will score you points, which is one of the reasons to try to go after them. 
The more you have, the more points you get. It's not quite a one-to-one ratio. The points escalate if you manage to track down a whole bunch of these. For getting one, two, four, six, eight, or ten, you get one, three, six, ten, fifteen, or twenty-one points respectively. So if you manage to claim ten of those bonus markers, you could get twenty-one points. Not very likely, but possible. The third thing you get your points for is you finally score those points for the guys holding barrels down there by Coelan. You can get 7, 8, 9, or 11 points for that. Keep in mind, you can get more than one of those if you're able to. And these do not have to be filled from left to right. Next, controlling cities. Alright, so if you control a city, that's worth two points. It's not just enough to have presence. You need to have control, which means you have either the most cubes in that city, Or if it's a tie, you have the cube that's the farthest to the right. And you get two points for each of these cities in which you have control. And finally, the last thing you get points for is for your largest network of offices. You're going to count your largest group of offices that are adjacent to one another. You are allowed to branch. It doesn't have to be a line. And you get one point for each of these offices that are adjacent to each other, multiplied by your number of town keys. So if I had five offices next to each other, maybe I had a couple offices other places, but that was my largest group that was connected, I would take that five, multiply it by my town key number, which say for example was two, and I'd get five times two, which was ten points. And those are the five parts of endgame scoring. Fully developed abilities, bonus markers, coelan points, city control, and adjacent cities times the town keys. And after you're done adding all of that up, the player with the most points is the winner of the game. Wolfgang, yeah? Wolfgang, are you still awake? Yeah. What were you doing? Coming mine's schnurbart. You you were combing your mustache? Yeah. Well, it, it looks very nice. Danke. Wolfgang, we're going to get to the hamster now. Uh, how do you say hamster in German? Der hamster. Hamster? You say hamster with hamster? Yeah. Doesn't any other language have a different word for hamster? I guess hamsters are universal. Well, let's get to the hamster. Part 3. The hamster. How to win the game. Okay, so it's time for a little bit of basic strategy on this game. When you first get going, it's very important to develop your abilities to enable you to connect trade routes more efficiently. The number one thing that can help you do this more quickly is getting more actions. And as I've already referenced, that means that this area is going to be highly contested, especially at the beginning of the game. But if everyone else gets to three actions and you're only on two, you will be at a big disadvantage. So look to get that action count up. But don't underestimate those other abilities, especially if other people are ignoring them. Getting a quick refill, getting privilege access that other people don't have, and getting that book, which is going to give you more merchants and the flexibility to move around the board quicker, are powerful abilities as well. So these four things should be your focus in the beginning of the game. But the thing about this game is there is some point somewhere in the middle of the game where you have to shift your attention towards scoring points. And it's sort of an art trying to figure out when that time is. Having played this game a couple of times will get you better at this, figuring out when you need to focus more on scoring points. Doing things like setting up offices, taking control of cities, building up your network, and don't forget about those dinner plates. 
I think a lot of times for new players in this game, people get so excited into that battle for getting those special abilities that they forget about all these different categories of points and these big chunks of points that are available because they're still fighting that action battle or still trying to get to the top of the refill track. Special abilities aren't that large of a percentage of points at the end of the game. Consider trying to take control of a lot of cities, or going after that Coelan bonus, you know, those guys with the barrels. Consider trying to make that connection, and don't forget about those dinner plates. Not only are the special abilities nice, you can get a big chunk of points if you're the only person collecting those. So, try to figure out about, alright, is this the mid-game, based on how close you are to those ending conditions, and shift your focus over to scoring victory points. And this game is all about opportunities. You can't go in with one fixed strategy. You have to sort of feel it out as to what the other players are trying to do and adjust your strategy thusly. You have to do what the other players aren't doing. It's all about looking for opportunities that aren't being taken advantage of. If players are focusing on two or three different areas, there's got to be one or two other areas where players are not. Did someone just score a route and open up that for you to move in and score it? you got to keep an eye out for those things. Don't forget about the move action. It's a very great action. And blocking is a valid and important strategy. If someone drops down two out of the three spaces for a trade route, it's a good move, whether you want that trade route or not, to throw a cube in there to block the other person. One of a couple things is going to happen that's going to be good for you. Either their plans are going to be messed up and they're not going to be able to get the ability that they want, or they're going to displace you, burn up extra resources, and give you more resources. Or they might move away, giving you the opportunity to score that route. Getting in the way can be a good thing. And don't forget to use that merchant token when you want to get in the way, those cylinder guys. Not only is blocking important just to try to get an extra cube or so, it's also important because if you just let the other players do exactly what they want to do, they're going to be in pretty good shape. You can usually do pretty well with only three actions if the other players don't let somebody else get five really early. It is important to try to disrupt your opponent's strategy. If you see someone trying to build a long chain across, sometimes your best move is to get in their way. If you see somebody collecting all of the dinner plates, you may need to hone in on that monopoly and don't let them get them all. And of course, another possible strategy is to get offices for those popular routes. For example, trying to take control of the action special ability town, Gotenjin, is a good idea as you'll probably score a lot of points because a lot of players want to score there. So there are so many different routes with which to choose. And you can't really choose those routes until you see what the other players are doing. You can focus your whole game on getting special abilities if you want to. You can go with a strategy to get all your merchants and try to get them all in that Coelan spot. You can try to take over as many cities as you can and then get keys so you get a huge multiplier at the end. You can focus on getting offices where other people are scoring routes to try to get a lot of points that way. Or you can go after all those dinner plates and set up a chain of scoring dinner plates one after another. There's just so many different strategy paths for which to go down in this game. And you can't really just settle on one until you read the actions and get a feel for what the other players are going to be attempting to do. And that's why I love this game so much. Hansa Teutonica. It's really a great game, isn't it, Wolfgang? Ja, das ist sehr gut. Wie mein Schnurrbart. Yes, Hansa Teutonica is a great game. As great as Wolfgang Schnurrbart. Say goodbye, Wolfgang. Auf Wiedersehen. See you later, Wolfgang. We hope to see your beautiful Schnurrbart in very many more games. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
Part four, footnotes and musings. All right, so just a few vegetables here. The first vegetable I have for you is an important one because this is an error that I made the first time I put out this podcast. There is a rules error in the Z-Man printing of the game, which I have and probably a lot of you have. And that is when you lay a new bonus marker, the qualifications are that it has to have at least one empty office on either end. The Z-Man rules say that it has to have one office, and that is a mistake. There does not have to be an office in one of the cities adjacent to the trade route to play a bonus marker. My thanks to How to Play listener, BGG user FunGuy, for pointing out this clarification to me. The other qualifications for laying a bonus marker are there can't be a bonus marker there, and there can't be any cubes or cylinders already on that trade route. One thing I didn't mention in the meet is that some of the routes, especially the routes in the corners, have a little coin symbol in them. And these give you one victory point when you start an office there. So if you start an office with a coin, you get one point. A couple clarifications. Supply versus stock. Make sure you're keeping these two areas separate. And sometimes it can be sort of confusing which goes in which. Like I said, you're going to have about five to nine cubes with which to work with at the beginning of the game. And then you'll have a section that is limited of a few more cubes in your general stock to refill with. Of course, you'll be able to fill up that stock more by scoring special abilities. When you score a route, all the cubes, except if you score an office, then one would go in the office. But all the other ones go back into your stock, and you have to resupply them. If you score a special ability, that cube comes off your tableau, and it goes into your active supply that you can use that immediately. I'm just going to put in a mini rant here. Whenever there are separate areas, when you have a lot of games do this where you have a separate area of active cubes and a supply of cubes and there's these two different piles of cubes and they're always called something different whether it's supply or stock or whatever it might be Notre Dame does this El Grande does this a bunch of other games do it why don't you have on the player board a little section for active cubes that make life so much easier Why don't you include that in the game? It would be very easy to add a little section on that little tableau that had a section for active cubes. That would just make the gameplay a whole lot better. So next time, game companies, when you want to do something like this, add an active cube box, please. Rant over. Let's have a quick talk about the difference between control and presence in cities. When you put an office in a city, you always have presence there. And what presence allows you to do is it adds to your network. As long as you have an office in a city, you can add that to your network. And you can use that for the connection for the two cities and for your scoring at the end of the game. But control is a little bit different. Control means you have to have the most cubes in that city. And if it's tied, the person on the furthest right has control. Why is control important? It's important for at the end of the game, when we get two points per city, whoever has control is the only person that's going to get those two points. It's also important because whenever somebody scores a trade route, you look for not who has presence, but who has control in that city. So someone might be scoring points for a route for the first half of the game, and then someone could take over control of it, and then that other player would start scoring points when routes adjacent to that city are scored. So that's an important differentiation. Keep in mind the difference between presence, which helps you with your network, and control, which scores you points for controlling cities. 
and gives you points when people score an adjacent trade route. A couple other things that are commonly forgotten in gameplay. Don't forget to look on either side to see if somebody gets a point for scoring because they're in control of the cities on the two ends of that route. And when you take a bonus marker, you don't have to play it right away, but you do have to play a refill bonus marker. So make sure by the end of your turn, there's always three dinner plights available on the board. People commonly misunderstand that scoring a route is one of your actions, so you do have to burn an action to score. And don't forget, when you display someone else's cube, you have to pay a cube. You just send one cube from your supply into your stock. So the bonus markers, when you get them, you can pretty much play them at any time. Let's talk about what they do. There are three particular ones that come out in certain spots to start the game. One of them is an additional office, one of them is a switch office, and one of them is a remove three traders. Additional office lets you put another office in a building. You put it to the left of the spaces where the offices go. But there has to be an office there in order for you to do that. The switch offices, what that lets you do is if there's two offices in a city, you can flip them around. And what this is good for is taking control of a city. You know, if you're on the left side and they're on the right, you play your ability, you flip them around, and now you are in control. And you get to ignore the colors and the shapes when you do that. The other one that starts on the board is remove three traders and or merchants. So you just pick three cubes or cylinders on the board and you give them back to the players. They can be from the same player or different and then they go in the player's personal supplies. So one of each of those start on the board and they're not that exciting. Some of the better ones are buried in the stack. There's copies of the ones that start the game, but there's also ones that give you three or four actions. You cash it in and you get three or four actions to use which is pretty strong. There's also one that lets you get a free skill. You just get to pull the cube and say, I have that skill now, which is pretty nice. And so when those come out, people will probably go after them pretty quickly. So those are the vegetables. Let's talk about the different player counts. One thing that's nice about this game is the board is double-sided. It has the standard board, which is for four and five players. And on the other side, it's for two and three players. I play this game with 3, 4, and 5 and find it works very well with any of those numbers. The nice thing with 3 players is that when you play on that back side, there's only one way into those special ability towns, whereas on the 4 or 5 board there are two routes to get actions. On the 3 player there's only one, which helps keep the board tight and competitive. I have not played with the 2 player rules, but the 2 player game changes the game quite a bit. The players have a wooden piece that moves in the spaces in between the trade routes. You're allowed to move that wooden piece one or two spaces, and then that's the only place that you can play cubes and cylinders. So it fixes the problem by not having enough players by limiting where the players are allowed to play their cubes. Like I said, I haven't given this a shot, but the overall feeling of having three or four players all competing for these different routes, that's sort of what I like about Hansa Teutonica. I'm not sure how well it would translate into a two-player, one-on-one type experience. I'd love to hear from some of the guild members who have given it a try to give us an opinion on what the two-player game is like. But personally, just with the feel the way this game is, I'm not really that interested in trying it two-player. I think three, four, or five players is really where it's at, and it works equally well for each of those. 
And now for some special announcements about the show. I want to announce, if you haven't heard already, that I've started a new podcast. I've started a new podcast called Ludology with Jeff Engelstein. And it arose from my interview with him a couple of weeks ago. And we had a really good time doing that interview. And we realized, you know, we could just talk together for hours about different topics about games. And I've always loved doing these musing segments on how to play. But it's kind of hard to muse by yourself and brainstorm ideas. And fortunately enough, I've found a great partner, Jeff Engelstein, who's willing to sit with me and do some musing topics. And we're going to create a whole new type of show. We're looking for it to be sort of a, a discussion series, sort of almost on broader topics about games, about why people play games, about how mechanics came to be, about game design, about the actions people take as they play games. And so it's not going to be a podcast about reviews or game news. It's just going to be discussion about games. And if that's something that appeals to you, you may want to listen to episode G and you'll get sort of a taste for what that's like. And hopefully episode one or more are available now. So head over to ludology.net or look it up on iTunes and start downloading it. I think it's really going to be a great show. And so I'll probably, this will probably eliminate most of the musings from how to play, and I'll just focus on teaching the game. And if you're interested on my musings or thoughts about board games, listen to Ludology, and you will get lots and lots of my opinions and thoughts about games, and opinions and thoughts from a very intelligent and well-respected gamer like Jeff Engelstein. And in getting this started, with both Jeff and I's affiliation with the Dice Tower, we talked to Tom Vassell about sort of creating a podcast team, if you will, a group of podcasts that support each other and, and work together and do a little bit of cross-promotion, a group of shows that complement each other, respect each other's work, and promote what each other is doing. So in talking with Tom and Jeff and Eric, we have created the Dice Tower Network. And all this means is that, that we're a group of podcasts that want to support one another. Tom and Eric have been great to how to play in helping me promote the podcast over the last year, and I really appreciate that. I think a lot of you who are listening to the show now probably learned about the show from my segments there on the Dice Tower. And so I'm very pleased to be a part of the Dice Tower family, and we're just sort of making it a little bit more official by calling ourselves the Dice Tower Network. And you'll hear Eric give a little outro there at the end. Yet in a lot of ways, this is still an independent podcast. I'm the only one who creates and edits and puts out the content for this show. I'm not giving up any creative control, so you don't have to worry about the loss of any cultural stereotypes or bashing of Duel of Ages or Dominion or anything like that. How to Play is still its own entity. This podcast remains unaffiliated with any game websites or game publishers. How to Play will remain the same quirky podcast you've grown to love. Or at least kind of like. And still solely financed by me. And support from listeners like you. So I still need your support. But just so you know, that's what the Dice Tower Network is. We're a group of podcasts that support each other. And I hope that that's something that you can support. I, I feel that we're going to be a strong team of podcasts. So look forward to lots of great episodes from the Dice Tower Network. And lastly, I just want to mention there's a great yearly convention about the third week every year in Niagara Falls. It's coming up on us February 17th to the 21st. It's in Niagara Falls, Canada. Any of you in Cleveland, Erie, Rochester, Syracuse, Buffalo area, all of you, anybody within a half day's drive, I hope you'll come out for a couple days and join me for some great gaming. 
There's a link there at the Guild. It's a really nice convention, and I really hope to see more of you listeners at this convention. But that's going to about do it. By now, Ludology Episode 1 should be available, so I hope you'll go check that out. You'll hear from me in another few short weeks. But until then, I want to say thank you so much for listening. This has been Ryan Sturm for the How to Play Podcast. One, two, three, four. This has been Ryan Stern for the How to Play Podcast. How to Play is written, recorded, edited, produced, promoted, and financed by Ryan Stern. How to Play is not affiliated with any game vendor or game company. If you like How to Play Podcast, I count on you to support it. You can help out by joining and participating in the guild, donating financially to the show, writing reviews or rating the show on iTunes, help talk up the show in your game group or on the forums at BoardGameGeek. We have no contests, no gimmicks, no advertisements, no plugs to game websites or companies. All of the show's content is free of all bias, save for one, my own, and that is due to your own continuing support. Please consider supporting the show in some way today. I love to hear feedback from you, and I can be contacted through our discussion forum on the Guild at BoardGameGeek, or I can be emailed at howtoplaypodcast at msn.com. This podcast home on the web is www.howtoplaypodcast.com. Thanks again, everybody, and until next time, I hope you will learn, teach, and play great games. Thanks for listening. The How to Play Podcast is part of the Dice Tower Network, the premier board gaming media network, featuring Ludology and the flagship podcast, The Dice Tower. For more information on these shows and much more, please visit www.thedicetower.com. Wolfgang, do you want to take us out with a song here? Yeah. This song called Mein Schnurrbart. Mein Schnurrbart, der hat drei Ecken. Drei Ecken hat mein Schnurrbart. Und hat er nicht drei Ecken. So war es nicht. Mein Schnürbart. Oh, mein Schnürbart, sehr schön. <lacht>